Welcome back to Fish and the Flint Chronicles here on Flint's News Talk, WFNT 1470. And with no ado, I want to welcome um, a guy who's a legend, frankly, in the music scene, a legend of Flint, Michigan, a legend just in general, Peter C. Kavanaugh. Welcome. And a legend in his own mind. Hey, Gary, how are you doing out there? Brother, I am doing (laughs) great, man. You know, it's interesting, hearing Alto Reed on that saxophone, Bob Seger's turned the page. The very first time they did that, we had a snowstorm, and the crowd for Seger at Sherwood Forest was only about (laughs) four or 500 people, much less than he usually would draw. And he decided to try some stuff he had written on the road, and that's the first time they did that. And the first time I heard that, I swear, I thought, man, that's one of the best things he ever did. And I turned out to be once again prophetic. <laughs> let me, let that me, was a Sherwood I, Forest. <laughs> and, and let me tell you something. There, that song was played through no coincidence. Um, oh, I was to, sure. To, to regal, you, regal you into the show. So for the uninitiated, I want to just give a real, real brief bio, and you can fill in some of the gaps. So, Peter, you came to Flint roughly 1966. Does that sound about right? On 1964, February, the Sunday that Ed Sullivan had the Beatles appear was the day before I went on the air, WTA. And, and, and you were here for 18 years? Well, let's see. At TAC, I was there for about a year and a half, and I got my first PD gig at KSO in Des Moines, which was owned by Gene Milner, same guy who owned WTAC at the time, and then went back to the Utica Rome Market near Syracuse and was there for about a year and a half. And then uh, Bob Dell, there was a change of ownership, and they brought me back to Flint, and I was there from on the air doing nights and then eventually mornings, went off the air in... 1977, in March of that year, to become the vice president and general manager. In 1980, I became the president of the station, and then I got stolen by the competition, went over to CK, and I was there, WWCK right. 105 FM, Flint's Best Rock. There you go. Went over there till 83, then down and ran Reams Broadcasting for about 12 years. And then, uh, so that's my radio bit, until after I left Reams for about two years, I ran WSPD, WLQR, Toledo, Fraser Reams having sold Reams at that point, then went to Youngstown, ran a radio group there, came back, worked with Comcast a while, and then retired and came out here 12 years ago to Oakhurst, California, on Highway 41, the same highway that took James Dean's life years and years Uh ago, and we're (laughs) at the entrance to, at the southern entrance to Yosemite National Park today. It's a bright, sunny day, as Johnny Nash would say, were he here, but he's not, so go ahead, Gary. (laughs) Well, listen, man, well, two things. Number one, it's not a bright, sunny day in Flint, but I'm sure you're well aware of that because of... Well, you know what? We actually had Flint weather here for the last three weeks till yesterday because maybe you've seen on TV all the floods in California. Yep. Tons of water, but we are in Oakhurst at 2,600 feet. Now, about 10 miles up the road in Fish Camp, uh, California name to be sure, they got about five feet on the ground of snow, and at the top of the hill, about between 40 and 50 feet of snow. So you got all the bases. Below the snow line, but it was raining here, and it felt like being back in Flint, except no torch lounge. Well, hey, man, I want to take you back in time, if I may, because I thought there was, I knew you were here in 64, but I thought there was a break. But th- let me take you back to to Flint, and I want I want you to picture yourself, and you're with a with a with a cohort, and you got a suit and a tie on, and you've created a fake Michigan State Police 
pass, if I remember oh, the yeah, story actually, correctly. I didn't have a, that's, I really, uh, my dress-up days became, after I became a manager, a general manager. Well, I thought you were there to do a little play acting, though. You were like disc jockey stuff. Well, I think, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I think on and this day, we heard that the Beatles there you go. into Detroit, that's it. and we made some press passes up, because they weren't going to let radio people in at that point. And a parking pass, too, right? <laughs> and we made up these passes and walked down there and went backstage before the Beatles went on, and we almost got kicked out, but I remember John Lennon saying, ah, that's funny, let him stay, and so we got an interview, and uh, that's the day I met the Beatles and got that picture that's floating around someplace. Yes, yeah, I, th- I thought you had a tie-on in that picture. I thought, you'd, I thought you'd, you you were looking to bamboozle a few people with your authority for that event. Oh, you, so you know what, what kind of pass did you have? Think of it. Oh, my God. I did have a suit and tie. There you go. It looked official. Being out in California, I only picture myself (laughs) in a suit and tie when I'm one of the suits in management. (laughs) Gary, you are right. But then again, I've never known you to be wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you you get down there, and you are one of the very first American uh, uh, disc jockey radio guys that gets this great audience. You're 20 feet from the Beatles, right, During during the whole thing. Oh, and we had cassette recorders. You could barely hear the Beatles, but Bob and I both were in the crowd. Then we got the interview backstage afterwards. And then also there was another press conference where we had some other people there. And I'm trying to remember who's got tapes of it, but Bob asks a few questions, and I do too, and you can hear us. Actually, he was on Keener Radio in Detroit, but we got in on their action too, because, of course, coming from Flint, we learned how to ask for forgiveness, not permission. Ah, man, I love that. I love that. And, you know, and you know, I will tell you this. It just appeared online, the Detroit Free Press. Somebody at the Free Press uh, got a hold of the interview that has you in the background um, asking some questions at the Olympia, which is where oh, the concert really? was. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll have to, good. I'll have to find that and, and send it to you. So, so let me let me transition a little bit here into another English group that you have intimate knowledge of, and and I do mean um, inner circle knowledge, and that mm-hmm. would be a band called The Who. And uh, I want to take you to 1967, well, Atwood yeah. Stadium. Back then, actually, WTAC was the first station in the country to play The Who in America with uh, Can't Explain, and so actually that show was a Mike Gaylord production, and uh, still WTAC with a contact with the record company, we were down there for it, and uh, they were at Adwood Stadium, Herman's Hermits, actually, they were the headliners, the Who opened up and did a terrific job, and then we went out to the Holiday Inn and had my very first rock and roll party, because it allegedly was Keith Moon's 21st birthday, although later we found out he he lied. He just wanted to be able to drink exactly. in Michigan. Sure it was. But the cops got called, and he drove the Cadillac into the pool. And then after the police arrived, Bob Dell and uh, Peter Townsend and a few of the other people went over to Cotto's, hung out till closing time. And that's when I met the Who. And I want to say something about, about that trip you took to Cotto's. I believe that, that, that Pete Townsend, or maybe it was Roger Daltrey who had said to you, that one of the things that most impressed him about Flint that he was going to really take away with him was the fact that people in Flint used the F word every third oh, yeah. word in a sentence. <laughs> Actually, that was Townsend, yeah. Uh, because we pull into the parking lot at Cotto's, it's crowded as usual. 
unusual back then. And every other word is that particular word. <laughs> and Townsend said, you know, in England we say bloody. It's so fascinating to hear that word. It's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was particularly, he thought it was very creative, very authentic, as yeah, I recall, right? Yes. So, so you, you had, we, and, and yeah, I'm sure you're aware as a radio guy, we don't have anywhere near enough time to, have, to tell even a fraction of the story. So I think you don't realize it, but you've committed to coming back on again by having done this. You're like in my bear trap, man. You have to come back. But I want you to tell some more stories before we even have to take a break. And one of them, one of my favorites about Peter C. Kavanaugh is your experience with George Clinton in Parliament in the Funkadelic. <laughs> you know, I love George. He and I are the same age. We're in our 78th year now. But when I had George, it was out at Sherwood Forest, and we'd had some language problems with the MC5 and a few other groups. So I had in the contract that you could not do certain things and use obscenity and stuff. And so before George went on, and they were the closing act, Clinton and the parliaments and Funkadelic, I said, now, George, you know, we've got to do this and got to do that. And the one thing you can't do is da-da-da-da-da-da. And he gets up there, and it's a terrific show. And he gets to near the end, and he strips down to, like, almost like a G-strap, and the super, <laughs> yeah. super lights are on him, and he gets into this really raunchy rap. It was terrific, but I remember part of the language, and I guess, I don't know, you can blip this. That's not that bad. He said, I want to tell all you little white girls out there, you've got to do this. Move your asses and your mind will follow. <laughs> <laughs> and was upset the police. They weren't too and happy with so, that? I saw them charging through the crowd, and so I said, ladies and gentlemen, Parliament and Funkadelic, see you next time around. <laughs> and uh, and that's that. George was arrested, and I was mad because it was exactly, you know, the sort of thing that shouldn't be done. So uh, they take him downtown, and he's out in about 10 minutes, and he, oh, man, I'm sorry. He said, Peter C., I couldn't remember if you told me I could do it or not to do it. <laughs> I mean, I did it. Half the time I'm right. Hey, let, let me let me let me bring up another eclectic character that you're intimately involved with, and another Flint story, which was another of my favorites here on the Peter C. Collection of Greatest Hits. This would be your involvement with a fellow named Jimi Hendrix and Purple Haze, oh, yes. and a broken some broken Purple guitar Hayes. strings. Um, he was coming into town as a Mike Quattro production. Mike was out of Detroit. Susie Quattro's dad, right? Agent, as well as being a musician. Was that Susie and, Quattro's uh, dad? So, uh, he was coming into the IMA Auditorium. They asked me to promote it and introduce him, and so I went down there. And uh, it was quite interesting, but he broke his guitar uh, string right in the middle of... Uh, uh, da da got to remember right now. Uh, manic Depression. And he threw the guitar down and feeding back, and he left the stage. And the crowd went wild, assuming that was an end of the show as they rehearsed it. But I remember also some other peculiarities, which, Gary, you can fill in right now if you want. Yeah, so um, I believe that, that he might have... There's a theory that he was on some altered substances, really? and uh, he just kind of walked off the stage, but that the fans loved it because they thought it was really a cool thing. That, that's well, how he ended the concert. He kissed me on the forehead for having an it's hey, way past the statute of limitations. Although I myself at that stage <laughs> never indulged in the uh, recreational substance. The procurement of a certain substance uh, might have been involved. acquaintances who were able to furnish him something. To was it the devil's lettuce? That, Is that what we're talking about? He was not an eerie Pennsylvanian, which was his impression when he got to the gig, uh, but in Flint, Michigan. Well, you know, and I, I I don't think if you heard the question, I was asking you about um, uh, the uh, Quattro. Was that Susie Quattro's dad that she went on to become sure. leather? No, that was that was her brother. Her brother, her and brother? she went on to be oh, leather yeah. Tuscadero on Happy Days with yep. Fonz's oh, yeah, girlfriend, Mike, right? 
And he sounded like Mike Quattro on the phone. And he also had the Mike Quattro jam band. We had them a couple of times at Sherwood Forest. And he was he was a terrific musician. But I remember one of my roadies standing there watching him with me, and he said, Peter C., perfect music, but no soul. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. Hey, speak- mechanical. You've seen those before. Oh, abs- you know? absolutely. And, you know, speaking of sort of the opposite of soul music, you broke another act in Flint, um, which was uh, Iggy and the Stooges, right? Iggy uh-huh. Pop? Well, actually, they had come out of Ann Arbor and had them at Sherwood Forest. Again, a very similar situation. No obscenity, although I let everybody know if you sort of whisper it, I don't care, but if the police hear it, we've got a problem. <laughs> and Iggy just, it was, it's a long story. But my partner at the time, Johnny Irons, almost strangled him, and we had to close the show early, a big uproar, and uh, finally we were able to, through the Musicians Union, get our money back, and I gave it to charity, because Iggy picked that night to be very naughty. And didn't he bash a bottle over his head and start carving his chest with the broken shards, or was that something he just did? Uh, he didn't do that, no. He jumped into the crowd and was using his left foot as a massaging unit with several young ladies in the audience. Ah, who, yeah. Although they were relishing it, the authorities, the gendarmes, did not. <laughs> did, <But yes. laughs> upside on that, Dave Marsh with Cree Magazine at the time was there, and uh, he wrote a big story about it. He said, Peter Kavanaugh of WTAC did a play-by-play narrative like he was Chris Schenkel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Peter, see, can, can you, listen, man, can you, we got to pay I a couple. i copy of that, too, as a matter of fact. We yeah. got to pay a couple bills. Can you can you stick with us for like five, four, five more minutes? Can you do that? Hey, I love being on the radio. I'll stick with you for the rest of my life. All right, brother, you're this the kid, man. You're the man. This, this kid has a radio future. I think I you think. might have a future in this thing, man. This is Gary Fisher, Fish, and the Flint Chronicles on Flint's News Talk WFNT 1470. We're going to take a break, pay a couple bills, and we're coming back with Peter C. Kavanaugh. Stick with us. choice, Steve-O. Welcome back, everybody, to Fish and the Flint Chronicles, and uh, we're with Peter C. Cavanaugh, and we're play- we just played uh, I Can't Explain by the Who, because Peter C. Cavanaugh, WTAC, broke this unknown British band called The Who, and then took him on a tour of Dort Highway's famous drinking establishment, uh, Contos, Contos And uh, you, you, Peter C., you had involvement with a number of acts in getting their start at places like uh, Sherwood Forest and uh, Mount Holly. Uh, bands like Bob Seger, we mentioned you broke Turning the Page there. Um, terrible Ted Nugent and the Amboy Dukes was another act that you had heavy involvement with. Um, and, and another fellow who's kind of a unique Flint story, um, which is John Sinclair, who was arrested and jailed for uh, two marijuana joints, right? I think you... A good friend of mine to this day, yes. He's overseas now, but John's still around. And John Lennon came to uh, Michigan and did a song about John Sinclair, Free John well, Sinclair. Well, John and Yoko came. John was eventually incarcerated for 10 years for a single joint. Now, it was a lot more than that involved. But John and Yoko came over, packed the University of Michigan uh, Coliseum down there, and... Uh, 
Three days later, miraculously, I'm sure purely by circumstance and coincidence, John got out of jail. But he's a very thoughtful guy. And, of course, he went to Davison High School along with Michael Moore, although not at the same point in time as Michael did. But I know both gentlemen, and they have a lot in common. Yeah, and, and except, the, except John's poor and Michael's not. That's a fact. That's a fact. And and, and the Lennon, the fact that Lennon did that song, that was just recently sort of uh, thrown back out in the media around here. A lot of people didn't know that, and a lot of people didn't know about your involvement with Grand Funk Railroad. You know, um, Mark Farner is coming to play a show in Flint at the Capitol Theater on April nineteenth. We just had a great right, conversation with that. him. Yep. Yeah. So just, I mean, in terms of those stories, uh, Ted Nugent and and Bob Seger. And Grand Funk Railroad, you were really you knew Terry Knight, and you were around when they formed the the pack, right? And and kind of oh sure, listen, even before Terry, although Terry was in Flint before I got there, he was at WTAC, and when I first came into Flint, he had gone down to Detroit Radio. He was on CKLW for a while, and a few other stations came back and worked at Tricks for a bit, and eventually went to New York, and the rest is history. But matter of fact, not to get off the subject, which by the way I do all the time. But when <laughs> Terry okay. was briefly at Tricks, he pulled off. I think I mentioned it in my book, Local DJ. He went on the air. He said, Tricks, and he goes on the air and says, This coming Sunday at the IMA Auditorium, sounds of the Beach Boys and sounds of this and sounds of that. And everybody shows up. He had like 4,000 people there, and he played records. Uh, and that's all he did. It was God. the sounds of, but not actually the acts. <laughs> and so a few people complained, and he willingly gave them their money back. But the fact is, a crowd draws a crowd. And I remember sitting with Bob Dell in Bob's office, and I said, you know what? you got to give him credit. Yeah, He, he it, really pulled off he, a good gets, one. He didn't do it points. again. I think that was just before he left down the pack to, to try to get him in New York. Hey, and before, before we, because um, I want to talk a little bit more about Grand Funk, but before I do, you made a comment about your book, which is amazing, by the way, and it's called Local DJ, and all these stories are, are in greater detail in that book, and, and, and can people go to Amazon.com and get that, Peter? Oh, sure, yep, and I, I'm, I'm pleased to see it through the years. It's sort of still hanging in there pretty good. Also, I'll do one little quick plug, if you don't mind, No, Harry. please, go right Peter ahead, Peter. you will find out everything about me you never wanted to know. PeterCavanaugh.com. Yep. com. Local DJ is the book, and you're uh, absolutely – not only am I cool with you plugging it, we're going to plug it on our website as well. And uh, and, and, and if you're if you're cool with it, man, we've got a guy that uh, we call Emmy Ernie. He's uh, won a few Emmy Awards, lives out in California. He's one of our con- – he's like a regular on the show, and we have another guy, yeah. Dennis King, that drives a truck all over the United States. If you're amenable – because I don't know what this is about you, but you seem to have some feel for this radio thing. <laughs> and I just think it would be kind of cool if you would be willing to every now and then just check in with us, man. And, uh, oh, sure. No problem whatsoever. That's awesome, because the, 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 the things you've been involved, the stories are just so cool. And, and can you say a little bit about another place that's, uh, that was looms large in your legend in this area's music legend, and that's Mount Holly? I mean, that oh, was a yeah. major well, piece of the action around here. Well, my friend Bob Dell, now I had mentioned before I went to Des Moines, back to central New York for a while and back to Flint. As I was gone, we were always doing these, we called them at the time, record hops. And Bob Dell was quite the entrepreneur, and he found Mount Holly, and he realized during the summer, obviously no skiing, so he tried to gig out there at work. Eventually, he started drawing more and more people. In one year, I believe it was the summer 
of 66. He had two shows a week out there drawing probably at least a 1,000 kids for each show because Mount Holly, being geographically located where it is, it got Flint, the Tri-Cities, Detroit, Ann Arbor, and he just did wonders with it. So although after we started doing Sherwood Forest, Johnny Irons and I, we picked up Mount Holly as Bob had left town and gone down to Evansville, Indiana, and a few other places. And Fort Wayne, too, he was on WOWO for a while. Yeah. And and you guys did a big show out there with Grand Funk, and you you had the first outdoor show at Mount Holly, and, and hardly anyone well, came. Actually, right? actually, that was Bob's show. Well, that was Bob's show. And Johnny okay. Irons and I were, uh, you know, being very frank, we wound up competing with Bob for a number of reasons, which I get into in the book, but won't waste our time here. Right. And so Bob thought he could pull off another Woodstock, and it turned out that actually, because everybody knew Mark and Donnie and Mel, they were and regular local guys. Craig, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they weren't in Flint. They weren't perceived at the time as major stars, so they did okay a couple of thousand people. They would have done that whether Grand Funk had been Grand Funk or not. So Bob was a little disappointed, and gleefully we said I shouldn't confess it now, but again, it was years ago. Right. Johnny and I looked at each other. I said, I bet you we can get Mount Holly now. And, we did. <laughs> and you, you, were, you were right about that. And another venue that you did some stuff at, which I, I think you got in a little bit of uh, trouble because of uh, language, was uh, Cheech, bringing Cheech and Chong to, <laughs> to Whiting Auditorium, I think is where you brought them. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah, and a little... The, uh, the, that particular word... The F word yes, yes, um, the has caused me a bit of trouble through the years. But one thing, all seriousness, I got to say, I was glad I didn't edit a lot of stuff um, because I think where we are now culturally would not have evolved so easily without removing a lot of what I consider to this day a lot of repression on the kids of that era. Right, right, and right. on me. Well, and you were you were kind of a guy leading the in the vanguard of uh, fighting fighting the man, as I recall. And, well, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. I believe. You know, and I'll tell you something else too. Not to get too philosophically profound. What I did was always because I loved it, and I loved our listeners, and and I never cared about the money part. Had I cared about the money, I never would have been successful in winding up doing what I did and being, uh, you know, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame radio section, a lot of cool things that have come my way. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, really, I'm really appreciative that you made that point because I wasn't going to ask anything about that, but one of the things we do here on the show is try to give a, a light forward for folks who are in Flint now and, and to let people know um, a, a way to, ways to be successful. That's really the positive vibe that we have on this this show. And what you just said is is quite candidly, it is profound. It's doing what you love and doing it for the right reasons versus trying to chase money or do what you think somebody Absolutely. thinks you're supposed it to just, do. It, it tends to work out. By the way, one a quick closing thought here. I am moving back to I-75. You are? When? And what that means is, after all these years, we've got four daughters and 12 grandkids and a couple of greats now, and everybody is east of the Mississippi. So we have one daughter in Detroit, one in Cincinnati, and then two in the Nashville area. I-75 connects all three. So... Uh, that's within, I'm going to move to Cincinnati with Eileen, and that puts me within prowling distance of Flint. Well, listen, Watch man, out. I would PLC. absolutely. Hey, listen, we're going, to, we're going to set you up at a room at the Holiday Inn on Bristol Road. We might even have a Cadillac out in the parking lot. If we could reenact That's that. not there anymore. It's not that, there right here. I know. We'd have to find a proxy, man. We'll find another place. And you mentioned your kids, and I went to school with Lori. You tell Lori I said hi. I don't know if she'll remember me. It was a long time ago. We went to Whittier Junior High. 
Absolutely. No kidding. We were in the uh-huh. academically talented program. I like to put that out there whenever I can, that I was in the academically talented program well, with you know, Lori. It ruined Lori because <laughs> she started going there, and she's saying, Dad, they want me to study anything I want. Yeah, that's right. It was very oh, – what's Boys. that? Boys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, man, we got to go, but I don't want to go. But we're gonna, I'm going to reach out to you. We're going to get you back on again. You tell Lori I said hi. And my friend, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of Fish in the Flint Chronicles. Well, and listen, thank you very much, Gary, and thanks to Steve, too, your engineer. He does a good job, I can tell. Steve gets the shout-out. Awesome, Thank man. you very much. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Have a good one, brother. We'll talk to you soon. This is Fish in the... You got it, baby. Fish in the Flint Chronicles. We'll talk to you next week. This episode of Fish in the Flint Chronicles is brought to you by GL Fisher Capital Management. See us for your retirement, business, and financial planning needs. Online at glfishercapitalmanagement.com or call us at 810-603-9100.